0: Today, I'm speaking with Ben Lynch, a founder of and the CEO of Clinic Mastery, which is a professional development coaching community for physios and podiatrists. We talk about Ben's journey from being an aspiring athlete to becoming a podiatrist and to some reflections on the changing landscape of healthcare and in particular, the businesses of healthcare, which has led to his current focus on coaching other practitioners on methods that could help build inspired teams within a healthcare practice that focus on offering great client experiences. Let's jump in.
1: Well, hey, Ben, how are you today? Doing super well, Yanni. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast.
0: Oh, well, thank you for making the
1: time. So, uh, so Ben, just uh, leading into it, tell us a little bit about yourself I grew up in the country, country place called Wyala, and not a lot goes on in Wyala. Famously remarked by Tony Abbott, as you know, the carbon tax will wipe places like Wyala off the map. So there's not much to do. And I tell you that because I needed a ticket out of Wyala growing up. Like as a youngster, there's not much up there. And my ticket out was to go to university. And so I prepared myself during my schooling years. To move to the big smoke and study something can really set myself up with some form of career. I happen to be reasonably talented at cricket and hockey and be able to make my way to Adelaide to play representative stuff as a youngster. So I loved Adelaide. And being into sports, I figured I'd be somewhat in the musculoskeletal field of health because I love people, I love sport. And at school, you kind of, like accountant, you know, lawyer or medical field kind of options as a career. So my ticket out was come to the big smoke, get a degree. I studied podiatry. I wanted to do physio and missed out by half a mark. Oh, wow. And I still have a chip on my shoulder. (laughs) I think it's it's, it's a common story for a lot of podiatrists. Like I wanted to be a physio and I missed out. Um, And I was like, yeah, I'll get in the back door. You know, I'll transfer at some stage. Uh, But I happened to meet some cool people along the way who showed me some different ways that podiatry could be practiced and sparked my curiosity. Uh, But I followed down the podiatry line and uh, eventually realized that I was more interested in the person at the end of the foot than the foot itself. I can't say that too many of my friends or colleagues were like super passionate about feet uh, I think they love making a difference for people through working with their feet but uh, I love the people and so that was a common factor in what I did
0: oh fantastic mate so um a bit of a country boy yeah moving, moving to the big smoke full of uh, ambition and dreams yep. to be a physiotherapist <laughs> <laughs> And now, and now you've got a neck problem. I hear.
1: There's a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. You're saying, yeah, exactly. And not just any physiotherapist. I wanted <laughs> to be the physiotherapist for the best AFL team, Port Power. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Come on, that's you know, contentious. Like, yeah, I know. I um, like growing up, I I love watching Port Power. I'm a big fan, but I always saw the guys running out, you know, helping the athletes. I thought you know what that would be amazing if I don't make it as a sports person, I'd love to work with sports people uh, so that was always the ambition. I did get to work with Port Power for a short period of time, but uh yeah, that was always a joy being in sport and health.
0: yeah, it's fantastic, and you know, I'm kind of connecting with that kind of relationship you had you know you're obviously you're into the sport yourself, and you know you're you're already seeing. The potential of how you could self-actualize within that kind of uh, environment and um, you know you're referring to that sort of musculoskeletal affinity that you're kind of seeing as part of your, your pathway. Do you find that you know you can constantly see the thread between some of your earlier origins and the type of things that you're involved with now you know in terms of where that inspiration comes from and that kind of the motivation or maybe even the waypoints along the way
1: Someone said to me, you know, 2020 hindsight is uh, brilliant and you can see quite clearly a pattern, I think. And as you were just saying that kind of that self actualization thinking about maybe where you want to be, but also the importance of reflecting on where you've been and how you've arrived at where you are right now and looking at some of the common threads or elements to guide maybe how you move forward. Uh, So I definitely went through you know many periods over my evolution and, and changes of you know struggling or wrestling with you know what's next or where does this evolve to and trying to find out, okay, well, what is it that I really love? What are the things that I've enjoyed in past experiences and how could that guide me moving forward. So I love constantly reflecting on you know where's this all going?
0: Personally, in, in my experience, it's been uh, – and maybe it is that twenty twenty hindsight that you referred to, but I often talk about the difference between fate and destiny. And, um, uh, you know, I have this kind of relationship with the concept of fate that it's all predetermined. And I never liked that idea. You know, it was kind of um, – if I don't have any ability to influence or, or make an impact on my life and the world that I live in, um, because it's all predetermined and, and really I'm, I'm in some sort of illusion of choice, but it's all just going to play itself out the way it was pre-written – That was a really disempowering concept, or at least the way I was relating to it, whereas the idea of destiny was I make my life, you know, I produce my outcomes, I am responsible and I'm accountable. And with that, Mm -hmm. I'm empowered that whatever I put my time and effort into will have an impact. Then it's a question of, well, is it going to be a good or a bad impact? And so then the next question for me was, well, what's my meaning and purpose? Have you kind of confronted that with your own journey through that kind of sport into podiatry kind of transformation, and even now where you've gotten to with the business advisory?
1: Absolutely. I think for me, breaking down, you know, why is it that I've studied health? Why is it that I've been part of, you know, team sports? What are some of those common elements to the things that I've done? And it comes back to, I love working with people. And I love working with people who are motivated also to change their life, whether that is, you know, they've got a foot problem and they want to have better feet to exercise or keep up with the grandkids. I found a common purpose of being able to relate to people and be around positive people who want to make a difference in their life and maybe in other lives as the common thread And that through various things that I've done, whether it was working in retail and getting someone a shoe that allowed them to go and run the fun run or the marathon, that I love being able to help people. And I found that common purpose. When I more clearly connected with that, I felt I was able to not be in the box, not think about myself in a box or in, in such maybe even a linear just progression that I could be actually quite flexible in what I did and how I did it to meet my own need of wanting to connect with people and help people. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, it absolutely does in, in so many yeah. different ways. Um, it kind of hits a sort of a bullseye in my own kind of value system because um, I was born into a migrant family and I inherited the ambition of that migration you know, because my parents, um, they cool. they left economic um, hardship and difficulties and came out of villages in the foothills of Greece. And so for them, you know, the idea of coming to Australia was to work and, you know, and to make money. And there was something in that for them. And and so when you grow up with that, you kind of inherited. There's your parents kind of, you know, view of what you should be doing with your time. And so, you know, my early encounters in business were sort of built around going into business, you know, and um, yeah. and, you know, making money and doing that kind of thing. And uh, years later, I had success in my early business life, but I burnt myself out, and I found myself uh, dealing with inexplicable healthcare issues. Uh, it was probably about nine or ten months of introspection and working through what these mysterious healthcare issues were. How I rationalised it is that I was out of alignment. You know, I I had these skills, ah, I had these capabilities, yeah. but I hadn't connected with my why. And so once once I actually got to that, you know, it was light at the end of the tunnel and I started to realise that, no, I'm, I shouldn't go in the business to make money. And this always seems counterintuitive to people when I first say it. It's like, what? Business? Not making money. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you will make money. Just hold on. Let me finish. It's kind of, um, no, but why are you in business? The reason you're in business is to help people. You, you, you need to serve. you got to have that kind of mentality. That's the way I relate to it. And I, I had a void in my life that, you know, I didn't get help too often. So, I kind mm-hmm. of overcompensate a little bit for that, but I really enjoy helping people and I, and I work through that both uh, with the teams that I've built and also with um, the client community and also with the Health Tech X project, you know, just to try and find ways to innovate and bring ideas into fruition. And I think because we do live in this kind of um, framework of a monetary economy <laughs> that the side effect of helping people well is that um, they pay your fees. And so the money comes it's ancillary to the real reason for why you go into business and what your business purpose is all about. So if you yes, you will make money unless all of a sudden government says yeah. there's no money anymore, guys, we're trading high fives and compliments now, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, if there was no money, would we not get out of bed? And the it's question, yeah. And the question I always put to people is that, you know, if there was no money, what would you get out of bed for? Cause that's probably how you should be investing your time, right? Cause that's probably what's aligned with your purpose. So, that works for me anyway. And so I relate to what you're saying there through that is that that's a different relationship to the concept of mm. what's my meaning. And I know it's, it's not a single solution. We've got families, we've got loved ones, we've got kids and things sure. like that, you know, we're, we're more holistic than just what we do day to day. But I guess um, that's probably a good little segue actually into what you're currently well known for, which is the uh, Clinic Mastery community that you've been developing mm-hmm. and uh, you have co-founded... Uh, with a number of other people who have come out of the um, healthcare industry as well. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about Clinic Mastery and its background and where it is today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the origin is around, I started it with Daniel Gibbs and Shane Davis. It was in the back end of 2015. we'd sat down at that time, actually, after a round of golf where all good discussions happen. (laughs) and. probably in the year 12 months prior uh, Daniel had won a Telstra business award for his podiatry clinic and had done some tremendous things there off the back of that a lot of people were saying hey can you help me out with you know my business I'd love some guidance and out of the goodness of his heart he was having a lot of lunches and coffee meetings and doing these consultations if you will just off his own back and in his spare time. Shane had engaged daniel to come over to his clinic in geelong and run what we call culture day or an alignment day where you spend half day full day connecting your team with your strategic plan and of course aligning them with your purpose and and your vision there was tremendous results off the back end of that and shane had also been part of many various coaching consulting programs previously And felt, hey, you know what, there's an opportunity here, I feel, to do it better and different, particularly around uh, distinguishing ourselves, at least in what we saw. There was a lot of focus around money, like making money in health and that being a big driving force to make heaps of money. We felt it didn't resonate with us, and there were enough of our colleagues and circles that we're a part of that it didn't resonate either, that we got into the business, as we're discussing, to help people, and that if you do it well enough and you have the systems there and you position yourself well enough, that you will create a good business and the money will come as well. I had worked in podiatry in a various number of different practices and also understood the model of delivering this sort of service to people in a way that gave them the coaching, gave them the content and gave them the community that really allowed them to transform their clinic. So the three of us got in a room and said, look, there's strengths that we each have here around how we could deliver this, how we could position it differently, and how we could do something that made an impact. So it started out as a side hustle for us. We said, give ourselves three years and see what we can do. Uh, we just ticked over three years and you know things are going really well, much better than we expected, which is fantastic. And it's all started really off the back of health professionals don't learn business. We don't get taught it. Usually, you're either frustrated with your current employer, so you start your own thing, or you feel like you really wanna do things differently and control your destiny, so you start your business. And unless you've had a good mentor, you really just learn as you go. And I'm all for doing that, having a go and getting experiences. I think we've all gotta do that and take those leaps of faith, but you also don't need to reinvent the wheel. There are some fundamentals that people have already gone through and done the hard yards. that we could play a role as somewhat of a virtual business partner to help people do that and support them along the journey in implementing those changes. So that's Clinic Mastery and really the three key areas that we do, I guess, privately with our clients and also publicly around delivering content that people can use, IP and systems. The community, that's really one of the greatest assets I feel, is bringing the community of like-minded, progressive people together and also the consulting side of things where people can ask us questions in our online forums or wherever they may be, one-on-one, we can help them out. So that's, that's clinic mastery. And so our position is that we help you lead inspired teams, create great places to work and transform client experiences because I think that's why we got into health in the first place, designing those client care experiences. So that's what we do.
0: And you're doing a really great job. I was um, <clears throat> at one of your uh, events recently and just saw the quality of the community that you had built up in that particular Melbourne event as well. as really impressive and um, those key things of IP and systems and developing the community and doing the consultation. It's really smart that you guys have been able to conceptualise or productize the way that you would help people in running their businesses. And I think it is innovative, you know. It's kind of one of those things when – when I was starting uh, Core Plus, we were dealing with a landscape where people were, you know, pretty much afraid of the cloud. Most of the prevailing um, systems, for lack of a better term, were paper-based. This is in allied yeah. health. We, we didn't have any interest in GPs or hospitals. Some um, felt that they were over-serviced and probably overly incentivized to adopt systems and do stuff. And it was kind of ironic because in those early years, um, aside from dealing with our own startup challenges and issues, we often reflected on the market and we were sitting there saying, ah, oh, you know, Allied Health, Heart's in the right place, got the clinical skills, technical skills, but they're not real strong at running businesses. Yeah. And um, part of the attempt that we were making at the time to try and address that is cultivate an add-on community of um, advisors and business mentors, so to speak. Mm. And it was all really early and there was hardly anybody out there. And it it was kind of ironic because um, this conversation would come up a lot about, you know, the challenges of trying to run the business of health. And then you'd get sort of some people would come into the space who would come from different industries and they really wouldn't understand the business of um, health. They'd be trying to apply those kind of, you know, what you were referring to earlier about those sort of repeatable bits of system and advice. But you've got to have the empathy as well. I think it's an important part of really understanding the relationship between a client and a practitioner so that, yeah, you know, everybody's got to do accounting and everyone's got to do their, you know, their BASs and their superannuations and payroll systems. And, you know, you've got to recruit and you've got to retain and you're building, you know, you've got a physical environment to, you know, to maintain and what have you. But the clinical care and doing that, well, above and beyond just the, I guess, the traditional model of you need healthcare, come and get it, you know, come to me, come to my location and get it and kind of, you know, reimagine the idea of how the relationship would unfold whilst we have this prolific level of technology, all of these different devices and all of these different ways that our, our clients interact with the digital world. So I kind of see you guys as coming at us as a, as a really important intersection where the, you know, the the type of systems which are behaviours and attitudes and cultures and some of the tools that can be used are coming together with the advice and the consultation and the guidance. Is that a sort of a fair summary of, um, you know, how you would see yourselves at the moment, you know, in the market?
1: Absolutely. I think one of the key things that underpins what we do is education. I think health professionals as a whole are brilliant at staying up to date with the latest in, how they should apply the research, the evidence to their practice to improve their patient care, their health service and patient outcomes. What we really strive to do is the same in a business sense, is for us to be able to be that transition of best practice in business and understanding health, And being able to help and guide people to implement those changes. So helping them understand, here are all the wonderful things that are available to you, like you said, around the tech or around products and services. And here's how you can use them to benefit your team, your clients, your clinic, etc. So absolutely, I think that's a great position that um, we've put in. How do you see
0: the health sector transforming over the next five to ten years. What
1: do you see as the big changes? I guess you could look at all the different areas of the healthcare sector and see that there's probably going to be massive change in each of those areas, especially around technology. When we're at university, we're always taught about you know holistic care and, and being part of a network of providers but then when we get into the real world, it's somewhat operation in silos. Mm. So I really do see the integration of health professionals moving forward to be much more preeminent. And the thing that I I imagine will happen is that that can come to life in a few different means, whether it is bigger super clinics in the sense where it is more all under the one roof, Uh, whether that is, and no doubt encompasses more of a, under one roof technology-wise that we're able to manage patients and the flow of patients. I think that where we can getting in an ideal world, if you look at any person of great wealth, let's say, or a celebrity or someone like that, they have some of the resources to be able to have a healthcare team or a professional athlete that, you know, they come in and they have everyone on the same page literally. And they are working together to get that person better. You know, I think for the common person, the person out there in the community who can't pay for all, all of those private people necessarily to come in and see them every week, that the system ideally will help ideally better facilitate those people in their care, caring for them, to better integrate and be on the same page. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, no, it certainly does. And um, I'd echo those thoughts. Uh, I think um, one really real world example of that right now is what's happening in and around NDIS, where Mm. um, you had a model, for example, where um, it was a prevailing way of um, providing uh, disability support services, for example. And um, what happened is um, the providers that were registered in that industry, they had grown quite large. And so they had established a lot of in-house services. And there was uh, block funding and it was prepaid and the world was pretty good. But then there was a philosophical shift because of changes in our culture, in our demographics, um, of um, principles and values and what have you. And also, I think, academically, the idea of putting the client at the centre of healthcare. And, you know, that sort of sporting club analogy, um, you can see how valuable that could be when you've got the client in the middle of all of these um, different mm-hmm. perspectives that work together towards the goals of the individual. And so the NDIS reflects that. It's kind of a work in progress. It's under construction right now where we're seeing this idea where block funding health provider models are now transitioning to consumer directed care, which means that they're now more focused on providing customer service and satisfaction and figuring that out with an alternative cash flow model because mm. there's no block funding under the new scheme going forward. And so, you know, the participants are. Funded, but they're looking now for more than one service. They're looking for a cooperation or a collaboration. Mm. So I see the power of having that connected ecosystem of um, healthcare professionals who cooperate around the interests of a shared client, for lack of a better term, or perhaps even pivot that concept to they're no longer our clients, we're their service providers and Mm. we're part of their team, you know, as Mm. opposed to they're part of my client list. It's the same horse, different jockey. It's a matter of kind of just Moving the mindset around that idea that um, the healthcare system, from a consumer's point of view, doesn't look the same way that health practitioners see it from the inside out. It could commence anywhere, anytime. It could start the journey at a type of healthcare service that's not even yours,
1: Mm. but eventually
0: involves you. I kind of see that transformation where we're reimagining the way that the healthcare system works and our role in it. And that's kind of a cultural shift. It's a matter of being innovative in the way that that empathy and understanding of the client or the patient's needs and just knowing for sure that they are talking to other people as well and how do we Mm -hmm. actually build ourselves into their world and become a part of their
1: world. Mm -hmm. What are
0: your thoughts around that?
1: Absolutely. One of the words like you use there around the innovation and and reimagining things when we look at it in a business sense, we wanna get perspectives of how different industries work. We wanna understand how different service models are provided in various parts of the country. And we wanna be able to tap into different perspectives of how ultimately whoever we are helping can get better outcomes. I think that we can learn a lot from within the healthcare sector and, and different professions, but going beyond that, really, I feel innovation is largely applying different ideas or perspectives from other industries and applying it into how you do it in health. Because if we just sort of box ourselves into you know, how we operate as health, we're probably going to make some marginal gains, which are always important. But if we can make some bigger pivots, definitely in the long run, I think that has to come from looking outside of how we currently do it. So I agree. I think at the end of the day, and uh, we say this to all the clinic owners that we work with, even though we're working with, you know, the systems and structure of their business and leading those inspired teams, your business doesn't exist without serving a patient, without a patient coming in. So we have to always keep them at the forefront of what we're doing. I think if the system and some of the, uh, you know, systems within that technology you know, regulations you know, governing bodies can better be more coherent, I think, provided the patients at the top of that list will be moving in the right direction. And I'm sure it can play out in a number of different ways, but more integrated, Healthcare teams for the patient, I think, is the way we're moving.
0: Absolutely. The relationship I have to the term innovation is that it's not out of our reach. It's not just a small percentage of um, the population that can be innovative. We can innovate our marketing. We can innovate our customer experience. We can innovate the way that we recruit and retain. We can innovate our attitudes. Innovation is the idea of, I guess, moving incrementally away from the status quo, where we are right now today. I think what I see, um, particularly having been in health tech startup for quite a while now is that um, it's easier for the startup, it's easier for the younger clinics to take on the new ideas and um, embrace the the innovation because they're not as established and set in their ways. Is that something that you're experiencing as well?
1: Absolutely. I think that uh, we definitely see a lot of previously well-established clinics being challenged by some of the new clinics that are being um, started up and run with, you know, various new systems or technologies to make life easier, which frees them up to do more of perhaps the higher value things, um, to grow their clinic, to build a team, to serve their patients. I also don't take it as an excuse either. Certainly we work with a number of people who, you know, say, you know, I didn't grow up with this or uh, this is all new to me. The fact is that a lot of it's new to everyone. And you can either rest on your laurels or you can learn about it or get surrounded by the people who can support you on that journey and help you evolve or adapt. So for sure, I think it's a reality for a lot of maybe established clinics not to rest on their laurels uh, and really just find new and better ways to do what they do. And if they're struggling with that, to get themselves around the people and support can help them do it but if they're scared of it which i understand especially when it comes to tech tech can be quite overwhelming and scary um there's a lot of unknowns for people i think you just have to get around people who are in it who are using it who understand it who can give you that education and help make it more manageable but um if that's scared or that um, scarcity mindset governs you to not acting. I think uh, your patients will also lose out, your team will lose out, and your business will be in trouble uh, if not now into the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it changes, um, fearful. I think also when you grow a business, you kind of evolve um, a team around you as well. And then when everybody sort of settled into their groove in terms of how they they perform their role and and you know how they go about their day to day part of the business change can be quite intimidating because then you've got the potential of resistance and you've got people who perhaps don't want to move as quickly. And, um, you know, you've got that classic change management dilemma where it's easy to say, for example, as the practice owner, I want X to happen. And then the team is sitting there going, right, okay, so how do we do that? You know, how do we get to X? And I think it's important as a leader in a business to – have that self-reflection and that self-knowledge to be able to say that you can't possibly master everything. You can't mm-hmm. be the best at everything. So, you know, bringing in the, um, the help, bringing in people who can support that transformation and that change process is actually a really good investment because if you get it wrong with your culture, you risk people resigning and uh, moving on. IP walks out the door, you get dissent and frustration, which um, inevitably comes across in the way the patients experience is perceived through the energy in the place. Yeah, you know, do people smile? Are they happy to be there? Are they, um, you know, is it? You can just tell. You walk into some places, and you can just feel the good vibe versus yeah. the frustrated or stressed vibe. It's subtle, but I think it makes a difference because we all we're sentient, aren't we? Like we're experiencing life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I often say to clinic owners uh, when they're finding it hard or stressful or overwhelming, you know, if they've got a partner or you know, a family member who say, you know, have you ever walked into the kitchen and your partner's there and you can just sense that you shouldn't say anything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and they haven't oh, even had yes. to say anything, but you can feel like you know it. So if you're showing up each day, you know, stressed out of your mind, overwhelmed, anxious, short-term thinking, um, you might think that you're hiding it well, but your team can pick up on that energy, your clients can pick up on that energy, and it just permeates everything that you do. Um, I think the point that you made, like you use the word culture, which I think hits it on the head, is that when you are making the change, and I understand the realities of running a business, that it's bloody hard, like sometimes with all the things that are demanding your attention, to be able to think at this bigger level and I think the start of the podcast today was around like defining your purpose and having something that people feel engaged by. They feel they can get behind or align with. There's a quote from a movie called Shooter. I don't know how real it is about snipers (laughs) that I always love to use, which, uh, you know, a sniper is incredibly skilled and incredibly accurate at what they do, that slow is smooth smooth is fast. I feel like some of that culture stuff is quite slow, but if you can work at it and underpin some systems to change the culture, have a set of values that people hold themselves to in their conduction, in their behavior, some of those things are slow, but it sets up for a much more smooth, rhythmic team that allows you to go fast when you do want to make those changes. But it, it does take time, especially if you're struggling with you know, the culture at the moment. So it can change, but also don't expect it to change overnight.
0: That's a really great quote. I saw that movie. I don't, I don't remember that, unfortunately, but that, that, <laughs> it's a powerful quote because yeah. I know from a, from a health tech standpoint, we use um, methods and cultural development that uh, reflects that idea. And it's about how a small group of people work together and we, we have some concepts that that team is able to negotiate what we call social contracts amongst themselves. And we don't make right. big changes. So we just work on small changes. So it's kind of like small steps fast get you to the destination quicker, whereas trying to take big steps inevitably Ooh. comes with a cleanup. up There's some sort of something wasn't thought through. It was too big a change. It was a big bet. Nobody really cared. The idea of iterating just one little mm. change at a time is really inherent in the health tech ethos and and tech generally i think now i mean there's still uh, legacy systems that probably work with um older project management methods or the way they go around actually making change but being agile and um you know not thinking that the change is big but just see it as um what's the smallest step we could take that adds yeah. value to the customer to the patient through the mm. through the lens of uh, a healthcare practice What's the smallest change we can make? So it's a low investment. It's easy and simple for everybody to learn and adapt to and move towards. And our customer actually values it. And if they do, then that's a good change. But if they don't, at least we've got the feedback now to say it wasn't valued. Nobody really cared about that. So we thought it was a good idea. But mm. the customer's feeding back to us and saying, meh, you know, it's like whatever. Yeah. So let's we can either then retreat from that and not do it again or um, learn from it and enhance it and do something different that actually does reflect the customer's requirement. So I see a lot of parallels between tech and uh, the, yeah. business of, <laughs> the business of healthcare through that cultural I development.
1: It. I love being able to see those connection points and, again, apply different perspectives on how you do it. I often find one of the challenges is, broadly speaking, with health professionals is that they're perfectionists. hmm and now I say this because when you're training in your particular craft and industry, you are graded and you're expected to know the answer. You're expected to practice the latest and the best. So if it's not that, it can feel stressful, overwhelming, or you shy away from it because I'm not good at it. Often what I see a lot of health professionals, they delay just making The first step or progressing because they have that it's not right it's not perfect but in the real world uh, that progress of marginal gains is just so valuable one story if I could just share uh, briefly here about the head of the British cycling team this was about 2004 he took over the cycling team that had been terribly terribly performing and what he did was he set an ambition to win, uh, you know, a gold medal. I think it was at 2008 Beijing Olympics, and his plan was of marginal gains, like literally changing the height of the seat and seeing what that would do, changing the pillows they slept with to get a better quality sleep, improving the quality of the water, and then the nutritional value of the food, like they were just making marginal gains and they won like a record amount of gold medals four years later. But I think if you tried to say, all right, what would a you know gold medal team do today and tried to change your habits overnight, it, you'd find it'd be unsustainable. And that's what we often hear is I've tried that it didn't work. They often tried to do too many things at once, make that big step. So I find the process of marginal gains just takes the stress away and go, Hey, progress over perfection here let's actually just make incremental gains and we'll learn from those experiences
0: yeah that's um sage advice and and it makes a lot of sense because it's it goes back to that idea of why we're here we're here to help our customers um, we're trying to help them achieve their outcomes and if the customer's not getting that value or not seeing the value in the let's wait for the big perfect solution type mm. of scenario then um that's kind of missing the mark a little bit whereas if we just do those incremental gains and we take that view in terms of how we innovate the clinical engagement we're getting constant feedback that it's working or it's not and if it's not working we haven't over committed to that idea we can pivot we can change and enhance and work yeah. with the patient towards the respective outcome i think uh i'll trail off with one final question i think we've kind of have talked a little bit about the reimagination space but um reimagining healthcare what what would you like to see? What's the what's the one line, the one paragraph that you think would make a real difference right now in, in healthcare?
1: If we can operate from a place where in everything we do in the client's journey, we're looking to personalize the experience, make it more engaging and ultimately memorable, I think we're on the right path. If there's one note to finish on, it, it's just take, marginal gains every single day in improving the client's experience, I think you'll do some great things.
0: Marginal gains, one little step at a time. That's great stuff. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, Yanni. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.